0: I'd like to welcome everyone to The Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here, so much more importantly, the author of 16 books and counting, uh, the subject of a documentary, and of course our host each and every week, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg, and uh, a 17th book on the way, and that's her memoir, and uh, maybe an excerpt today from the memoir and, uh, and, and what may be, but without further ado, Doc, how are you? I'm very well, thank heaven, and I, I hope you are too. I am, and uh, this time of year is very nice around here. I don't think you have cold weather in Texas, but uh, it's starting to get a little chilly here. No snow yet, but uh, uh, do, you have a, uh, do you have a Christmas feel around there?
1: Ah, uh-huh. that's good. That's wonderful. Well, uh, we did have a, a day close to freezing in November. So all of the uh, tender plants, the hibiscus and Bougainvillea and so on, got nipped. Um, and uh, I think they're all going to survive, but they are losing their leaves right now. And, of course, we will be getting into chilly weather, uh, but I think students uh, insist on wearing shorts throughout the year here in San Antonio. So uh, it never gets down the way it uh, did in Rochester, uh, where I lived for 28 years. So uh, I I kind of miss it. I I miss the seasons and uh, even miss the snow. Uh, But I I have uh, good memories, and uh, I'm going to talk today, instead of about all of the hideous problems that surround us both in this country, here in texas to be uh, more local in san antonio we're doing pretty well but in texas in general and on the border as everyone knows uh, we are not and and in the world in in uh, washington uh, of course we have a deadlock and uh and we're going to break our solemn promise to ukraine to help them Uh, And uh, we're still uh, up in the air as to what we're going to do about Israel's uh, blasting and slaughter of of the uh, Palestinians in Gaza. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to talk about any of that or about Donald Trump and his plans to become a dictator. Um, No, none of that. (laughs) It's going to be Christmas cheer for us today. Uh, And it's going to be a memory from, as you just said, Frank, uh, from my memoir. Very good. So here we go. I'm going to set the stage a little bit. Uh, My parents were rather remarkable people, I think, as many of us think uh, of our parents. My dad had a degree in – he had an MS in uh, engineering and was a civil engineer who had built Highway 54, which runs from near Chicago diagonally across the country to El Paso. And he met my mother um, in New Mexico along the way, (laughs) and they married – uh, but during the uh, – and, of course, they married in 1928, I believe it was. So um, so the uh, Depression came down on them almost immediately. And I was born in 1933 and just celebrated my 90th birthday on December 3rd. So um, that's one reason why I was thinking back over my life uh, way back to uh, – to the times uh, not the depression times but to near the depression times my mother was teaching school when my father met her along the along the highway there that he was building and uh, he of course once he had uh, highway u.s highway 54 complete lost his job and he was forced to do various other jobs which sometime uh, you might read about in my memoir or you can uh, catch up with it in in the documentary that is on my website. But in any case, during that period of depression, my parents spent one year in near Springfield, Missouri on a farm, Uh, and they were treated like black slaves by the Dutch family that ran that farm. Uh, And so that didn't last very long they moved away and found teaching jobs in, back in New Mexico instead of staying in uh, in Missouri. But, and here my story begins, my parents had loved the landscape around Springfield, Missouri, the area where they had worked on the Wiesman farm during the Depression. They poured over highway maps and decided to drive across northern Arkansas on State Highway 56, just below the Missouri border. The reason for dropping into Arkansas was that land in Arkansas was probably um, a good two or $300 less per acre than it was in Missouri. And it was the same landscape. They, uh, so they poured over maps, and they, uh, they dr- drove across uh, northern Arkansas looking, at, looking around, uh, and they reached a place called Mammoth Springs, which pours an amazing 9 million gallons of water per hour, Jeez. forming a, fish- a freshwater lake that becomes the Spring River. And we strolled through that park and then drove further to Salem, Arkansas, where we stopped to have lunch at a cafe on the town square. Dad picked up a flyer from the counter that read, farm, 365 acres, C. Perry Goodwin, attorney at law. The flyer listed other farms along with Mr. Goodwin's office address dad kept picking up the flyer as we ate i think i'll go see if mr goodwin is in his office i'd like to have a look at one of those farms just out of curiosity i ended up i was 12 i was 11 at the time and returned 12 in on december 3rd just before christmas i ended up playing all afternoon on the goodwin's spacious hilly lawn with their dog and a ball, pausing to drink lemonade and chat with Mrs. Goodwin while her husband drove my parents around the countryside looking at farms. Perry could tell that Dad was seriously interested in what he saw. They invited us to dinner that night and then put us up in spare bedrooms upstairs that had been their children's. Before we left, Dad had chosen the 365-acre farm and had made a down payment. Perry told him that that a dam had just been built on the Norfolk River and the eventual lake would border that piece of land, which would become lakeside property. Mm. World War II had come in the meantime and had just ended. Dad had fought as an army engineer and had been wounded and sent home. Uh, and served one full year at Fort San Luis Obispo as ordnance officer. But there was no longer a pressing need for his service. He took medical leave and we set out for Arkansas. He would soon apply for medical retirement. The wound, he was wounded in the stomach and it never healed. He eventually, unfortunately, died of starvation. But in the meantime, we had uh, we had a wonderful family time, as you will learn. This was no temporary vacation trip. He and Mom had agreed they would occupy the land in Arkansas and farm if possible and farm it if if possible, ranch it if not. Those acres had not been occupied since the Civil War, at least not for any long period, but there were buildings and a serviceable well. Dad hitched a trailer that had stood in grandma's driveway during the war years. We loaded it with furniture and other goods that had accumulated and struck out for the Ozarks. And uh, at the time we were, <coughs> we were, uh, we had moved already from California back to New Mexico, where, um, where uh, I was born and where my grandmother lived and from Uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, we struck out for the Ozarks. I had not seen our new home before we bumped over the half mile of wagon track that led to the property from the county road that served the area. I was dismayed by what I saw. The entrance to our land was marked by a cattle guard made of rusty old iron pipes flanked by wooden posts, and the remnants of a barbed wire fence on one side, newer web and barbed wire on the other. We crossed the cattle guard and parked. We got out and assessed our property. The main structure, structures were a house and a half-collapsed barn. Two sheds, one with an attached outhouse completed the ensemble. The house and barn were built of nati- native oak logs the sheds of clapboard all the roofs would later prove to be watertight i could already see that the caulking between the logs of the house had long fallen out and i imagined the wind whistling freely through the structure the barn a huge building resembled a monster struggling to rise its head shoulders and front legs erect the hindquarters prone on the ground Oddly, the half still standing retained its caulking. I turned to my dad standing next to me. Why is the barn, half of it at least, in better shape than the house? Perry told me the neighboring farmers used this its loft for storing hay. They Ill- illegally reaped on the fields over there. He pointed to an open area to the southwest. We set out to give the place a closer look. The barn was closest. A relatively, <clears throat> a relatively new fence of web wire topped with two strands of barbed wire surrounded it, and two sturdy 10-foot-wide gates opened on our side and opposite into the fields beyond. We entered the barn through a huge sliding door into a hallway with two usable stalls on the left, Two on the, <clears throat> two on the right, with a corn cob in between. A corn c- crib, I'm sorry, in right. between. I climbed the ladder in the hallway to the loft. Half the space was packed with, ille- with the illegally stored hay, now old and dry, but still smelling faintly uh, aromatic. It was probably still usable, but barely. <coughs> There was plenty of space left between that and the open front end of the loft to store new hay. I climbed down and joined my parents, already walking down to the house. It looked to be around 35 feet by 25, with a large clapboard lean-to on the front end, a covered porch half its length on the right. I ran my hands up and down the pillars of the porch. They were smooth and seemed to be cedar tree trunks stripped of their bark. The house had a floor that appeared to have been preserved by the corrugated tin tin roof. The floor extended to the lean-to and porch. Two doorway openings gaped on the front and the side, along with holes for windows. Weeds grew tall all around the house. The well stood on the right side with a four-foot wall of native stone a pulley and a dented tin bucket a few yards beyond it rose a large mound covered with weeds weeds grass and vines dad and i stripped the vegetation from the uh, near side and discovered a wooden door underneath dad opened the door and a puff of cold dark dank smelling a cold dank smelling air struck our faces we had discovered the root cellar and tornado refuge, a dark cave full of cobwebs, black widow spiders, and who knew what else. We decided to leave further exploration for later, much later. Dad calculated what we would need to get, and yet started making a home from the remains. We unloaded the furniture, stacking it in the middle of the floor. While he was gone with a now-empty trailer to Mountain Home, the nearest source of lumber and supplies, Mom and I inspected the sheds and cleared one one of the sheds of rusted machine parts, cans, and bottles. That shed still had a solid oak floor and usable shelves. The other shed, the one with the outhouse attached, had no floor but a sturdy scaffold where chickens could roost. It had been the chicken coop. We used flails to cut the weeds around the house. We could tell from the amount of grass growing between the weeds that if we kept it mown, we would soon have a lawn. By the time dad returned with a loaded trailer, followed by a truck hauling lumber doors, windows, bags of concrete, fencing, and much else, we had the place cleaned up and ready to begin, begin reconstruction we caulked the logs with a white concrete mixture the floor in the lean-to had a gap between it and the wall of the original house so we fixed that and made sure the rest was clean insect and mouse proof we worked at least two weeks before we were able to move into the house we had been sleeping in an umbrella tent up to that time cooking on a camp stove lighting our evenings with a coleman lamp We continued cooking the same way for a while, even after moving in. We installed the doors and the new windows with their screens and were happy not to share our evenings with so many insects and the occasional mouse or snake. We used plywood to cover the inner walls and ceiling. But before sealing the interior, Dad wired the place for electricity. Before long... Using a Maytag washing machine motor we had brought with us and car batteries scrounged from garages in Salem and Mountain Home, he set up a six-volt electrical system. TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, only electrified the Ozarks 18 months later. Telephone service never came to the region while we were there. Once the plywood walls and ceiling were in place, We caulked to hide seams and nail holes as best we could and painted. Details were added to the house, such as a roofed stoop before the front door with a concrete step. We used a large flat rock as a stepping stone to the porch on the right side. We visited secondhand stores in Mountain Home and in the closest larger town, West Plains, to supplement the furniture we had bought. We had brought. The lean-to became the kitchen and my bedroom, with a single bed and a tiny dresser. Uh, that that little room off the kitchen was had actually been the larder uh, before, but it did uh, was big enough uh, to hold a single bed and a tiny dresser. So that's where I slept. Uh, the larger, the large open space of the main house became my parents' bedroom and living room, a screen separating the two. And after Dad put up a plywood divider, to, uh, and uh, after uh, t- Dad put up a plywood divider to separate the kitchen, they had also bought a wood-burning space heater for the living room, new cabinets, and a propane-fired stove for the kitchen. Beside the lack of electricity, we had no plumbing. Our bathroom was the ancient outhouse attached to the chicken coop. Dishes and laundry and baths had to be done in a dishpan and in a tub. A small stand next to the front door held a pitcher and a shallow pan for hand washing, morning shaves, and other ablutions. Back to pioneer days. After eating cramped meals in the kitchen for a short while, we decided to box in half the porch and use it as a dining room. This worked well with a window uh, enlarged into an open doorway directly from the kitchen. We also discovered that propane refrigerators were available and bought one in time to store perishables and, once we had acquired farm animals, milk and eggs. Thinking of Christmas, while we uh, inspected the 365 acres of our farm on foot, we kept an eye out for an appropriately sized and shaped tree. No pines or firs grew on our la- at our latitude, uh, nor were our hills high enough to, su- to support them. We only had cedar trees to choose from. Eventually, we found a six-foot cedar that tapered to a point like a pine. We mentally marked its location, and when late December came, we cut it and dragged it home. We had kept treasured decorations from years past, including two strings of lights that had made in Cienega, a desert community where he had taught and where he had uh, used a windmill made of a long pipe and an airplane propeller to charge the old car batteries. We alone in that desert community had electric <laughs> electric lights. For our Christmas tree, the, we connected flashlight bulbs to two long wires, one with the bulbs painted red, the other green. They worked very well with the six-volt lighting system he had rigged, following our family tradition we did our shopping in a largest town across the state line into missouri and mom baked pies mincemeat butterscotch and lemon meringue cookies and fudge uh, with uh, that included native black walnuts for our christmas dinner we had acquired a flock of chickens by that time and we sacrificed one of the young hens for our centerpiece rather than a turkey. We also decked the halls with green boughs and red berries that grew on some of the bushes roundabout. Christmas Eve came, and Dad read all of uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, while Mom and I wrapped the Christmas presents. We made certain to decorate each package in a unique and beautiful way. We used more native greenery and berries, Made fancy bows, or cut out silhouettes of camels and figures of the Magi, and pasted them on pastel blue paper. Using gold ribbon to create desert sands, and a sparkly piece of gold paper to make the star and its rays. When we were done, no wealthy family tree, family's tree, trimmings and packages could outshine ours. The sentiment of joy, goodwill, and gratitude to the Almighty for His goodness surrounded us and lasted the entire Christmas season. Most of our presents to each other were useful items like clothing or tools, but that year my main present was an old army saddle for my brand-new horse, my birthday present from the previous December 3rd, just a few days earlier. The old saddle was all my parents could afford at that point, but I was thrilled not to continue to ride bareback and got it uh, and put it to good use that very day. We tended our animals, cows, horse, pigs, and chickens, with special little treats, an apple for my horse, uh, rations of corn for the cows, leftover salad and scraps for the pigs, and ground corn for the chickens. We lacked most modern conveniences, but we hardly missed them. For example, on that first year, we had to haul in water from the well, chop wood for the heating stove, go out in the cold and bitter weather to the outhouse. But we were never troubled as long as we were together. Those Christmases set the pattern for the four years while I was in high school, when I celebrated them with my parents. I entered Park College near Kansas City in the fifth year, rode the train back to West Plains, and then was driven home by Dad and Mom to celebrate the Yuletide on the farm with them for two two more years until they sold out and moved to Kansas City. Those celebrations remain in my memory as supreme examples of family closeness and love that left the problems and privations of everyday life. Far behind. Yes, I think it um, absolutely. <laughs> the privations and difficulties contributed to our closeness. Uh, and we were all of us uh, inventive and willing to work, <laughs> uh, which is not necessarily the case of kids nowadays. Uh, and, uh, um, and fortunately, we also were all uh, voracious readers. <clears throat> and so we did not miss. We had radio, of course. Uh, and we listened to r- the radio programs like F- Fibber McGee and Molly and uh, Red Skelton and Bob Hope and so forth. Um, and, uh, uh, and music uh, of all kinds, popular and classical. Uh, and so uh, we did have outside entertainment coming in to us. Um, no, uh, no newspapers or anything of that sort. We were way out. We were about 20 miles from, uh, from any town there uh, and from the school. Uh, and I, was, I had to catch the bus to go to school that first year. And uh, then my father decided that uh, farming was not going to pay the bills, and so he started teaching at the school and eventually became its principal.
0: Was the radio 24 hours, or was the radio uh, 12 hours? Did you have 24-hour-a-day radio? Yes, I think we did.
1: Uh, We didn't listen to it 24 hours. No. I don't think we started listening to it. We were too busy, and and the mornings we got up uh, at maybe 5.30 or 6 to do the chores. Once we had the animals, we had to go out and feed them and uh, see that they were all right, because... uh, Um, Well, the first half of the year, my parents did not work uh, away from the farm, Uh, but uh, sometime, probably the second semester, they both began to teach uh, in the school 20 miles away in Viola, Arkansas, which was halfway between Salem and Mountain Home. And by the way, the lake, of course, um, had uh, meanwhile established itself um, because uh, just as Perry Goodwin had told us, uh, the dam on uh, Lake no- on, uh, on Norfolk River uh, had uh, backed up the water so that we were lakeside property. Unfortunately, our, uh, our buildings were far away from the lakeside, <laughs> so we couldn't enjoy it, and uh, we had already put so much work into the buildings and, uh, and our livelihood there, and the uh, uh, the places for the animals and so on that we never did even think about moving to the lakeside. Uh, but anyway, uh, we did. Uh, yes, uh, we had we had the news. We definitely, and I remember listening to Walter Winchell wow. um, and getting our news from him and and commentary, by the way. Uh, and Walter was was uh, pretty uh, conservative, uh, and so that's that is the uh, uh, was the feed that we had uh, in in that realm. And of course, the entertainment was pretty good, uh, and so we uh, we did not feel deprived. <laughs> and also, my mother made sure that we had a a, a record player, and. Um, and uh, that we had uh, especially she loved classical music so for a long time we had classical music and at Christmas time uh, played um, the Messiah Handel's Messiah um, and uh, my dad complained about too much classical music so, so <laughs> she, she bought uh, a bunch of uh, popular records of pop- popular music as well so we kept up with that you, you know, there w- my dad, in in succeeding years, my dad um, installed uh, a, uh, a water system. He had the, the, the well deepened because that little well that was on the property was not sufficient uh, for all the needs, all the animals. And uh, <laughs> so it was deepened and we struck at an underground stream. So we had abundant, very fine water. And we had it piped into the house. We had a, a flush toilet, and my dad had dug all the trenches, so we had a regular um, toilet system. Uh, we did not have a uh, um, outhouse a pit uh, for the waste. Uh, it, instead, it just it ran through the trenches and spread itself out over a large area, which is much friendlier for the environment, and so at that we had the flush toilet, we had the running water, we uh, had a modern kitchen, we installed that for my mother, my dad and I, and uh, and we added another lean-to for for their bedroom, Uh, so the house became uh, larger and more livable as we went along. Uh, and so by the time I left for college uh, in the fourth year, when I graduated in 1950, uh, valedictorian, by the way, my class.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the house was really livable and comfortable with private bedrooms for the parents and for me. Um, I did not have to stay in the pantry as I had <laughs> that <it> first year. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, my dad continually was uh, was busy, even though he was ill during that whole time, um, because that wound just would not heal. Uh, the out the uh, the outside was healed, but the but the stomach itself would never heal because the acid kept it open and it ulcerated. So, um, so he was having a rough time and in pain a lot of that time too. But nonetheless, he did heavy work, like digging trenches and building things. He was also a good good carpenter thing. Uh, so uh, we, we made out. He never complained, uh, but he decided after uh, being principal of the Viola High School for uh, at least four years, because they continued at, on the farm for two years after I left to go to school um, and uh, uh, anyway he found out that he was a very good administrator that he had a talent for organizing things and for dealing with people and so he um, moved, moved us or rather moved them to Kansas City and uh, then he completed um, he had to go back and get a BA, <laughs> he had a BS and MS yeah. Uh, but he had to get a B.A., M.A., and Doctor of Education in order to be an administrator in a college, which is what his goal was. And He became an administrator of a college and lasted for two years in the job before his heart attacked him because he had not been able to nourish his body sufficiently to maintain his heart's health. And so he had that heart attack and... Then caught pneumonia and died of the disease that kills most elderly, namely pneumonia. Amazing, and, yeah. B- but what he accomplished during those years—eleven years from the time we had moved to Arkansas—and he came to San Antonio to uh, uh, to the to Brooks Army Medical Center and made a deposition to the Army Corps of Engineers, the uh, Army Medical Corps. Um, of, uh, see, uh, They have a special title that I, I'm not recalling right now, but, uh, but in any case, it was a special board, the Army Board of Medical Engineers, or Medical Officers. Uh, in any case, they told him that either they would remove his stomach completely and attach his esophagus to his small intestine and the small intestine would form a pouch a stomach like pouch that would enable him to continue living but he only had a 50-50 chance of surviving the operation and he otherwise he would die of starvation in 10 years they gave him the limit of 10 years and he determined to do what he wanted to do beat that by one year (laughs) <laughs> jeez yeah, wow you
0: know you you mentioned that they're amazing people like they, they clearly are uh indisputably amazing people to to be through what uh you know and by the way your your dad was a renaissance man in in many ways he um you know he was uh he was a handyman he was a you know, he was a farmer he was a you know, he built his own house he was a you know like a pioneer type he was a uh, frontiersman and uh, and at the same time he was educated you know not not much different than you know a, you know a guy like you know the the legend at least of Lincoln and those type of of people you know those uh, you know they don't make them like that anymore um That's they, right. they're That's just right. yeah just j- just not I, you know what i wanted to ask you and you touched on it a little bit you you, you said that you didn't you know feel deprived uh for anything and i and I guess you wouldn't feel deprived because you you didn't know of anything else but in your mind in young florence's mind were you were you dreaming of a different life of a better life do you remember what your daydreams were like
1: no i actually was uh, i did not want things. I was not interested in material goods, and I, I read wi- uh, widely. I was just like my dad. I could read very rapidly, and I, I read, uh, of course, I read entertaining books like Sherlock Holmes, the entire uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, set, and, <laughs> and other mysteries and things like that, but I, I also read uh, uh, history books and so forth, um, and my mother... Uh, during that period, exactly during that peri- those four years that we were there, that I was there with them, um, she, we, Dad and I would do all the chores, feed all the animals and see that they were bedded down for the night and all, uh, and then we would come in, and my mother would have dinner ready, and yeah, we would have dinner together uh, and review all the day's events, uh, and then my dad would say, uh, okay, Florence, go in there and help your mother with the dishes, or he would just say, go do, do the dishes. And I would go into the kitchen, carry the dishes in the kitchen, and my mother would say, go get a book. I want you to read to me while I do the dishes. And, mm-hmm. so, and so I read Les Miserables, uh, Victor Hugo's um, book, and another one of his, which is called uh, The Man Who Laughs, Uh, And uh, a lot of world literature that she was familiar with, in in addition to all of American literature, so Hawthorne and so on. And poetry also, she loved poetry and was a poet herself. Uh, And so by the time I got to college, I had a very good background, far, far better than the simple background that I got from Viola High School.
0: You know the wisdom of of your mother on that on that very move. You know to read to me. Um, you know she knew. You know either instinctively or just consciously, uh, or subconsciously that uh, that she was improving your life. She was giving you the best chance. She you know in in the big picture, how much time could you have cut off on the on the dishes? But uh, instead, you you entertained her and she educated you and and you self-educated at the same time uh, far more valuable yes. than than an extra set of hands
1: absolutely absolutely yes yeah, she she was so intelligent she was a true teacher uh, and she knew how to get kids to do things <laughs> that that they enjoyed and at the same time it was uh, that was forming their character and uh, improving their education of course uh, and they didn't even notice <laughs> they would have revolted if they had been told that this was to enlarge their vocabulary and their world their worldly uh, wisdom <laughs> but yeah. the way she did it it was uh, uh, it went down so so well because it was like a treat i didn't have to do the dishes i could read instead
0: <laughs> yeah just a wonderful Wonderful story. Everything that, everything that uh, uh, that you point out there is just a- incredible. And you know, even the the uh, the warmth of when your father was buying the the land. You know the the story and the part of the story that you you slept in their house. You know these people that were selling you. You'll never hear about things like that. Uh, you you stayed the night. Uh, with these yes. uh, these folks, you know, when was, <laughs> yeah. when was the last time you heard something like that?
1: Yes, uh, uh, people were open and generous and not suspicious of one another. And, uh, the, and the country was not divided against itself in those days at all. So if you had a political difference, you would talk it out. You didn't. And you didn't threaten people with death and destruction because they they thought something else. Yeah. And the Republican Party, uh, my dad actually, came from a Republican family from Pennsylvania, and uh, my mother had been a lifelong Democrat. And so, uh, as she used to joke, uh, she always canceled out his vote. <laughs> <laughs> That's and of funny. course, I was too young to vote and, uh, because I went to college at age sixteen. Uh, that was I turned twelve when I um, when I uh, started high school in, in December of the year I started high school, and then I I turned sixteen in the year I started uh, college.
0: Amazing! Just mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely wonderful. Well, listen, uh, uh, congratulations on this. This chapter, this is another great chapter in the book. Uh, Before we we let you go, uh, how far along are you on the memoir?
1: Well, I'm kind of hung up, and I have to uh, discipline myself. Um, I'm at the point of my husband's death in 1996.
0: That's a hard one.
1: And uh, I just can't confront that right now. So I have taken a pause, and I need to stop that and get back to work. And I think what I'm going to do is to skip skip that period and go on and finish the book and then go back. Yeah. And and fill in that Don't let it so hold I, you
0: back. Don't don't let it so, hold you. Yeah, up.
1: I'm blocked at the moment and I think I can get beyond it by uh, by leaving it for later and probably um, that will help help me get a perspective uh, by going through the events that happened afterwards. Uh, And uh, anyway, so that's my plan, and I better get down to it.
0: (laughs) Well, just wonderful. Just uh, wonderful, wonderful work. And uh, to to everyone out there, everyone out there, thank you for listening. We know you have a lot of choices. Uh, We appreciate your attention each and every week. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on The Florence Weinberg Show.